Welcome back to the Women Who Roar podcast. Today, I'm interviewing the amazing Aubrey Redinger. Aubrey is a mental health clinician and educational administrator who is passionate about improving the human experience. As an associate professional clinical counselor and associate marriage and family therapist in the state of California, Aubrey works under the supervision of Rachel Benson, LCSW. Their practice sees a variety of clients, but especially focuses on perinatal mental health helping moms stabilize in their motherhood experience, which I think is such a cool niche. As the assistant director of the Townsend Institute, Aubrey is part of creating transformational education that is relational. The Townsend Institute was founded by New York Times bestselling author, psychologist, speaker, and consultant, Dr. John Townsend. As an employee of the Townsend Institute, Aubrey has received training directly from Dr. Townsend, so she has a lot of amazing insights on relationships as well. Aubrey is a certified facilitator for both Working Genius and Symbis. Aubrey is currently pursuing a perinatal mental health certification through Postpartum Support International. Aubrey is also the creator of the super cool Love to the Moms, a space that seeks to help moms smile in their transition from big girl pants to mom jeans. This was honestly one of my favorite conversations. Even though it's a little long, it's the perfect mix of clinical perspectives and personal story. We cover some great topics like the trendiness of the label toxic and why that isn't always a good thing, navigating the confusion of living in a toxic relationship, and the dangers of pointing fingers or taking on too much responsibility in toxic relationships. We also talk personally about the false identities we take on as women that groom us to pick toxic partners and the role religion plays in shaping those. Personal insights also cover the additive highs and lows of toxic relationships and how physical relationship plays a role in that. And finally, we cover how to leave behind the fireworks of a toxic relationship and find connection and bonding in stable and healthy relationships that might not seem as exciting at first, a topic that Aubrey shares about in such an honest way it makes it easy to relate to. This conversation had a really special feel to it, to me, like a conversation between friends that I would want you to be included in. So grab a glass of whatever it is you like to drink and enjoy. Yay, Aubrey. I'm so happy to be talking to you today. Thank you for joining me. Me too. I'm so excited. Yeah, I am as well. I actually, before we go into kind of the whole conversation, I know I had the formal intro for you, but I had wanted to share a little bit about actually how we met. So we both grew up in kind of a, a very small town and you were kind of like an older, cool girl, you know, because only, uh, only a couple <laughs> of years age difference makes a big deal when you're teenagers, you know. And so we weren't, all, we weren't really necessarily in the same friend group. But I think, you know, one thing that I've noticed that happens a lot with small mind mentalities, there's kind of this weird almost this kind of cultic or toxic loyalty that happens where people feel really bonded to the same group of people, the same way of living, the same mindsets, and they have a hard time breaking out of that as adults. And that was something I never really kind of fit the mold where we grew up. And when I went away, I was really dedicated to not fitting, you know, going back to that. And we have a mutual friend who went through a doozy of a toxic relationship. And so we had kind of we saw each other from time to time over the years when I was in my toxic relationship, but we kind of, I think, connected again at her wedding. And one thing that I really liked about you was that I could tell you're somebody who became your own person and is comfortable doing your own thing. And I think that's also part of healing from toxicity is that process and 
I really like, if I could put it in one word, it's authenticity. And I think that will really show through in our conversation, but I'm excited for that. Thank you. I love hearing that. It's, I think it's always such a gift to hear like a reflection of yourself from other people. Like such a rare and precious thing to give to someone is to just let them know your view of them. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. One of the most valuable things anyone can give me is feedback on how they saw me. Yeah. Well, I I really appreciate the way that you show up like that. It always makes for good conversations between us. That being said, you had a really good idea. I usually start off by asking people about their toxic relationship history, but you suggested that we talk about the label of toxic. And I think that's a great idea because I have talked a little bit about this in some other episodes, how terms like trauma or narcissist or toxic kind of just get thrown around almost in a trendy way now. So everybody's been traumatized and everybody has somebody toxic. And so I think it's a really good idea to talk about. Thanks. I This is exactly why I want to talk about it. I think especially being in the mental health field, I'm overly aware of how labels just get thrown around. So I think most people don't quite understand the severity of words that they use. And toxic is one that I think is a really serious label to put on people. And yeah, so I just, I like to just, I wanted to define it. And I actually reached out to my friends too, who I know have also been in what we would refer to as toxic relationships and asked them like, what makes you use the word toxic? Like what made you think that that is an appropriate label for this? Because I really struggle with it for my own past, but they they definitely, I have a few relationships that would fit that label of toxic, not just one. I didn't want and done it. I just kept going. So yeah, so I, it was it was interesting to hear my friends talk about it and interesting for me to kind of struggle through that, that label too. So how did you land on defining it? Yeah, I don't know that I landed, to be honest. To be honest, I don't know that I fully landed. But one of the things my friends said that I thought was very interesting was that they look at how their relationships were affected them and did it leave them better off or worse off as a human? And did it leave them feeling better or worse about themselves? And so a lot of them said that that word toxic, it pops up in relationships where they felt worse about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really interesting to, I thought it was interesting that that multiple of them were defining it by the way they were affected. Mm-hmm. Because so often with the word toxic, we are pointed at whoever has the label. Mm-hmm. So we have a toxic ex, we're all focused on the ex and they're bad and they're toxic. And But then when we come to define it, we start to look at ourselves and the effects it had on us. And I just thought that was really interesting. And I think I, w- I would agree with them, the ones, the relationships that I think meet the whatever the definition is of toxic are definitely ones that left me feeling worse about myself. The ones where I felt isolated, less less open to being who I am, or maybe a reverse of that, just a lot of a lot of standards on who I should be, but they weren't really defined by me. They were defined by the other person. Left me with a lot of insecurity that I I don't think I'm a naturally insecure person. So that was a, a weird shift in my personality when I was in some of these relationships. And I don't know, for me, I have, there's just like a gut icky feeling, you know, of like something about this doesn't feel right in my life. And it was always insanely hard to define. Mm-hmm. Others could define it for me and I would not see it the same, which was, which was really interesting. Yeah. I, it's interesting because those are a lot of characteristic, kind of classic characteristics of toxic relationships or Emotional abuse, I should say. Relationships mm-hmm. in which there's emotional abuse going on. There are kind of some defined characteristics. And you mentioned a lot of those. I think you raise a really good question, though. I was 
thinking about how do I define toxic relationships because I talk about that a lot on Instagram. And, you know, one thing I've noticed is when I am referring to toxic relationships, I am more referring to the dynamic that is created between two people because mm-hmm. I've noticed it's really easy for people to watch a, you know, a little 15 second video that I do and feel like they really resonate because of some person in their life. But the the goal of talking about toxic relationships is there's a toxic dynamic and it's created by two people. And one of the things that makes it toxic is oftentimes we are trying to fix somebody who doesn't want to be fixed, but we're trying to fix them so they can fix us. And we get out of toxic relationship when we realize the only person we have responsibility and control over fixing is ourselves. Uh, And I think a lot of times the toxicity enters when our love for that person doesn't necessarily make us a better person, but actually breeds a lot of unhealthy dynamics. So I think it's a really good point. I like that. I like that you separated out the dynamic between the two people, because one of the things I struggle with is I have a lot of respect and admiration for almost all of my exes. But uh, I mean, really, like, I really do look back and I mostly think about happy times that I had with them, the things that drew me to them to begin with. And I like to hope and think that they are all better off now and they are healthier and they've done their work and I've done my work and their new relationships are are better for it and my marriage is better for it. So I like that it's the dynamic because in hindsight, it took me a long time to do this because I think when you're in a toxic relationship, you tend to, you know, the one person is like a little more aggressive than the other. Mm-hmm. And so the person that is a little more in the submissive seat, which is where I tended to sit in these relationships, will really easily take on like the, no, that's my fault. No, that's my fault. I'm sure I did something wrong. I And, and I was constantly being told what I was doing wrong. Uh, now being so far removed from these relationships, I am able to actually look back and see some things that that are from a healthy stance. Yeah, I I participated in that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the dynamic was unhealthy, not just because of them, but because of my participation also. However, I say that very cautiously because I think most people struggling with co- with toxic relationships are really way too fast to blame themselves. Mm-hmm. So I... I say this cautiously because I would almost never bring that up with someone that I thought was in a toxic relationship because you have to work so hard to get them to stand strong in themselves that you really don't want them taking on more blame for anything. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think there's a very fine line in toxic relationships taking responsibility that isn't yours in order to try and you're you're doing it. So I think most of the time to keep somebody's love. And I think there's a different type of responsibility that we take when we have let go of, I cannot manipulate somebody into loving me. I can't fix somebody into loving me. It is my responsibility to heal. And is this relationship helping me heal or is it standing in the way of me healing? So I think it's not even really about blame. It's about shifting the focus to what and who are we focusing on healing? Yes. And we should only be focusing on healing ourselves. We are the only person that we have responsibility over. We don't have responsibility over the other person. I So you you know this because we've talked about this, but I work with Dr. John Townsend, who co-authored the book Boundaries with Dr. Henry Cloud. And that book starts off by talking about 
how do you define what you're responsible for and what someone else is responsible for? And it gives the image of being a neighbor and you have your lawn in your property line and your fence and your neighbor has their lawn on their side. And you really have to look at like, what is on my lawn on my side of the fence and what is on their lawn and their side of the fence that only they can fix. So I feel, I mean, I, I tend to talk about that analogy a lot. It did a wonder on my life, just that very first opening part, just to define things that way. But like you said, I really, I can't fix, if I'm in a toxic relationship. I cannot fix my partner's participation in that dynamic. I can only look at my own. And so if they are going to continue in their participation, um, you do have to exit and focus on your own and how you can find someone who will do a healthier dynamic with you. I think that's a really good example because I think one of the things that makes that a bit of a novel concept if you're new to healthy relationships or coming out of toxic relationships is the narrative that an emotionally abusive or even sometimes just an unhealthy partner often gives is that my bad behavior is your fault. I exploded on you. Well, that's because you were being unreasonable in this way. Or, you know, this problem is just because you're too naive or you're too small-minded and I have the answers. And so you kind of get used to mowing the next door neighbor's lawn. And, a you know, there is, it, it takes a while to kind of unmesh from that viewpoint and realize I'm actually not responsible for that. That's their yard that they have to take care of. Yeah. Knowing what they're responsible for is just as important as knowing what you're responsible for. Because if you're over there and you're like, I mean, this is that was just such a great way to say it. And if if anyone could see this, they would see me nodding my head so like <laughs> expressively because I remember feeling like lots of things are my fault and that really weren't. And it's that like, oh, okay, like your yard is a disaster. Hold on, let me go plant a garden. Like, let me let me run to Home Depot real fast and grab, buy the whole store and I'll take care of it for you. And in doing so, you tend to neglect your own yard, so to speak. So you start to neglect yourself and your health and your well-being at, at this attempt to fix things for them. But their behavior just grows and grows and grows because you're creating such a lovely yard for that explosive behavior to grow in. Yeah, yeah. I I completely agree. That being said, to, to, your toxic relationship history, can you frame that for us a little bit? Sounds like there were a few. And I think another thing that we talked about before hitting record was, you know, you have some toxic relationship with his history with men and women, mm-hmm. uh, not romantically, but, you know, female friendships, things like that. And I think that's something that a lot of people resonate with because we... I think I've tended to focus a lot on romantic toxic relationships, but I think everybody has had a toxic female friendship issue as well. So just kind of some of your background on that. Yeah. So one of the joys of being someone who is like naturally meant for the mental health field, I think, is that you just attract all types of people to you. So yeah, I have had toxic relationships, dating relationships, romantic relationships, and I have had toxic friendships as well. And I would say... My experience in both of those have been just as impactful on me. I've had friend breakups that have been harder than some of my romantic breakups and that I have cried over just as much as some of my romantic breakups. So I don't, I, in talking about this, I do want to say that I, I, like I said before, I, I have a lot of gratitude for the good times with those people 
And I do have a lot of respect for them as well. And so I want to be careful when I talk about what I've been through, just to say that they're, you know, they could all be well adjusted now. They could be totally different people than what my experience was with them. And because it's a dynamic created between two people, there are some people that I know, like they were great, us together, horrible. We and both of us, both of us horrible once you put us together, but separately, separately, we did great. Let me tell you a few stories. Let me okay. tell you some things that I have that, <laughs> that have happened to me. I've had for me, there was lots of experiences of like, I often felt like a trophy wife to be. I mean, I literally went to what is that restaurant where they they oh, there is it dicks because they're known for being dicks like they do horrible service. They give you like a hat and they write some sort of, it's meant to be offensive name on it. Oh, wow. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I'm sure, sure it's called there. Okay. And I know they had one in San Diego. I went to one in Indianapolis and they wrote future trophy wife across wow. it. And I was like, this is so, the, how do you know my life? Yeah. Because <laughs> that's all I felt I was for a long time. And and I'm so much more than that. But for a long time, I I felt like that's what I had to bring to the table was like looks like someone's trophy wife. Yeah. My college roommates, they still actually tease me about this, but because of my history of being like the trophy girlfriend, they used to joke and call me a piece of meat. And they would say, Aubrey Meat doesn't talk whenever I'd say something like smart. And so they'd like jokingly shut me down and kind of react like actual like things that were done to me and things that I felt were done to me. But I did often feel like I can't be smart and cute. And athletic, like I have to pick things like I have to be I have to be cute, basically, is how I felt like to be in a relationship. And that has to be really like what my what my value is. And is that's what I bring to the table is silent and cute. Hmm. Yeah, which is sad. I let go of a lot of dreams from some of these relationships. But I had so I had one relationship where they told me that they wish they wish they could just tattoo taken across my forehead and at the time that was told to me, I was like, that is so sweet. They love me right. so much. They right. just like, that's adorable. Of course, I would tattoo taken across my forehead for you. And in hindsight, it's like that. No, like a healthy partner would be like, yeah, that's mine. Like that's that person's coming home with me, you know. And I am kind of a person that like I I like to work a room. Like I like to have attention. I like to know everyone in the room by the time I leave. And it was just, it felt like I couldn't like attention or I couldn't like flirting or I couldn't like any of these things because it was so, I would just get shamed if I, if I was drawing too much attention to myself. Hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. Which is unfortunate for my personality because yeah. if you let me be who I am, I do like to, to draw attention to myself. I think that's a strength though for you. I think it's one of the ways that you make people feel heard and seen and related to. Yeah. Like come over here. Hang with me and let me make you feel good about yourself. Yeah. I know. And I say it, I, I very distinctly choose the words like I like attention, which sounds way more vain than I think anyone would experience me. But I do that intentionally as a way of reclaiming that, mm -hmm. like that that's okay if that's the case. So, so I still get cautious in my head of like, did that sound so vain? Are people going to judge me for saying that? But, but I make myself do it because I am trying to reclaim that again, even still over a decade later. Yep. That's doing the work. <laughs> yep. Makes that always doing the work. Some of the things like I've been in relationships where I was told I was crazy and a liar. That's another one my roommates liked to say to me every now and then too as a joke. Now I've, I've been the other woman. 
I've I am pretty sure I've been cheated on. It's still unconfirmed to this day, but I am pretty sure I have been cheated on. Did you know you were the other woman, by the way, interjection? I did. I okay. Did. It was a bad decision. But that's, I mean, that's part of the interesting toxic relationship history and things we do when we don't know who we are. Exactly. The narrative running in my head was such a movie script of like, like, this is Aubrey. She just, she lives this wild life, like doing everything. I've never been the other woman before. Like, yeah, just, just really stupid narratives happening in my head at that time. And that's a decision that I really, 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 really regret to this day. One of my stupider moves. Not worth it either. Definitely not worth it. Good disclaimer. So, if you're thinking about it, just don't. Don't go there on that one. It's not as romantic as it's. What else? I feel like I have had, I've been in a few relationships where there's just like a complete disregard for my words. Hmm. I like I had one where I had said, I had, as I had finished saying the sentence, like I could tell that they were wanting to say they loved me. And I was like, oh, dear Lord, I do not feel that way i am not trying to go down there right now like down that road and at the end of me saying like don't say anything too soon and literally at the end of the sentence they go i love you and i'm like yeah nice i can cuss right yeah okay another thing you know another thing you have to reclaim when you leave small cell life and 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 i have to admit my part in this though that i did also i did go well i do love them as a friend and so like i love you too because i really don't want to deal with the argument yeah yeah and so that's that like lack of freedom I've been told not to be friends with men because they were threatening with other men. So just no no male species in general. Just give up all those friendships. Don't don't even talk to them. Don't even look at them. Dear God, don't work a job because you're going to have to interact with someone of the opposite sex. Oh I mean, that's not a direct quote. That's, that's a little bit of me elaborating or dra- dramatizing. I've been told to give up some of my greatest passions because if I gave them up, what, we'd have more time to spend on the relationship. I've been told I would never talk to my family again because they were harmful. And if I wanted that marriage, my family can't be a part of my life. I've lived on like walking on eggshells because I never knew when I was going to be in trouble and in the doghouse. And then I've had, I haven't been fully isolated, but I've watched myself creep way too close to being isolated in the name of my relationship. It's it's interesting to hear you list all of them together because one, I we have a lot of similarities in things that we've been through in toxic relationships and I think a lot of people listening will also resonate with a lot of this but I have this chapter in my book called anger and it kind of chronicles it's interesting that you were talking about not when you go through storylines because if you read my book you'll see there's not a lot I don't really give a linear storyline I mean it is a chronology of what happened the year after this toxic relationship fell apart but as far as the stories about the relationship goes I didn't give a storyline because I didn't really think that that's not what the book is about. And the book is about healing and finding yourself. But I have this book or this chapter in the book called Anger, where I do give a little bit of a chronology. It's a lot of the toxic and unreasonable things that kind of made my blood boil after the relationship ended all in one chapter. And I had someone text me and say, I just finished reading this chapter. So many unreasonable conversations. And they said, and I laughed and I said, yes, but it didn't happen in a chapter. It right. happened over a long period of time. And I think, you know, I'm glad we had that foundational conversation about two people in a toxic dynamic, because one of the things that makes toxic relationships very tricky is there are some really good and unique qualities about a lot of people who also have toxicity 
And I think as women, we tend to see those qualities and think, gosh, if they could just heal this piece, they would be such an amazing person. And then the toxic trend tends to be, well, the reason I can't heal this piece is because of something you're doing. And then suddenly we are losing ourselves to try and heal this person to become someone they're telling us with their actions. They're not ready to become. Mm -hmm. But I think it's easy to forget that, I mean, I, I'll tell stories about, you know, life comes up and I'll tell stories about my toxic ex to family or whatever. And sometimes I laugh because I think what a jerk move that was. And other times I think, wow, he really loved me the best way he knew how his best was just wildly unhealthy. And I was receiving that because my best at the time was also wildly unhealthy. But it makes such an impact when you hear it so condensed. And yet when you're living it, it isn't so clear. No. Oh my gosh, it was so foggy the whole way through. <laughs> like, yeah, I one of I had one relationship I had to get out of. We were in such an unhealthy pattern and I in no way wanted out, like did not want to leave this relationship. And but I also like kept getting like all of our conversations somehow ended with me being crazy. And I was like, this is, I can't live my whole life. Like, I have a long life left ahead of me. I can't do this forever. Yeah. And I knew I needed to end it, but I really, really didn't want to. And I often describe this in counseling as like when my head and my heart split. Mm. And I hate that they ever had to. And one of my, actually like a, a coach, because, you know, I'm in mental health, so I do all the growth things, anything growth, so I'm, I'm in it as both a client uh, and a clinician. So I actually had one of my coaches say to me recently that that is actually, you know, that is a developmental thing that we all reach at one point, that it is healthy to recognize that our heart and head aren't always aligned. It's wonderful when they are, but they aren't always. And you do have to sometimes be able to separate between logic and emotion. But for me, I really like lived in resentment that I ever had to do that. So all in all, I did end up, I did end up having that conversation to get out of that relationship and it, the conversation did end up with me being crazy at the end and I, my parting line was you know what i'm crazy then yeah that's, that's what's happening you still have to deal with it either way and yeah. and that was that but i man i never felt confident in that move i i lived in fear of will i regret that decision for years and even still, sometimes I'll look back on some relationships and be like, man, I wonder if we had stayed together, if we could have grown together, if we could have reached like healthier places together and we could have been fine now. But I think the likelihood of a dynamic when it's stayed for a few years, the likelihood of that changing with the same two people is just really low. And I felt like the cards were against against us on that one. Yeah. One thing that I picked up on when you were talking about your toxic relationship history was a lot of dynamics that would facilitate you being smaller, more silent. And that jumped out to me because something I like to talk about is one of the reasons I talk about all these things is because I want women to take up space in the world. And I think there's a lot yes. of that promote women not taking up space. You have to be silent and small and all of these things. Where do you think that mindset came from for you that you had to be cute and quiet? You know, it, the the mindset of being cute, I think, kind of actually like came in from childhood. Like I had, I felt like that was something that a lot of people were proud of that I was cute and like got attention for being cute as a kid. And 
And if, if anyone looks at my childhood pictures, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you are obviously delusional. So I think that kind of happened in my family. And my mom is very beautiful and gets a lot of attention for being be very beautiful. And I get told I look a lot like my mom. And that just became like a fun family dynamic. But the, the inability to be both things, I think, came from getting a lot of attention on like I got a ton of attention for being cute, but I was like super smart kid and I got like no attention for that. I was getting like straight hundreds in elementary school and I would get very little attention from that. Like, a, you know, praise from my parents, but outside of the household, like nobody cared about that for me. And I, I mean, I did get I got a lot of accolades for athletics. And but I think at that point, you know, I was in high school and I kind of already had some dynamics in my head of like either or like things just started to become either or. And so at that point, I started to think things like, I can't be a mom and an athlete. And like, thank you, Alex Morgan, and so many women on the U.S. Women's National Team for disproving that. Like, I see them and I'm like, they're living my dream. And I wish I had been bold enough to do that. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't. And that's OK. I have grace for that. I'm doing other things. But uh, so I had I had some either or thinking and I can't. I just felt like it was constantly affirmed. Like you would get affirmed for one thing. I would. Sorry. Excuse me. I would get affirmed for one thing, but not the other. And that just ended up kind of being like being cute. And then the silent piece really didn't happen until like earlier years of dating. And we were, I don't know if you have mentioned this much before, but we were in a pretty strict culture. Mm -hmm. My family was not strict, which I am so grateful for, because I think that's why I've had a lot of freedom of mind and like my own like I've, I've been able to own a lot of things and like step into my own space because I was able to do that in my family. But my parents were going through a divorce in high school and I felt very like, oh, well, they're divorcing. And so they must be wrong about everything. Oh, yeah. so sorry, mom and dad. But I did. I was just like, they must be wrong because divorce was like the worst thing that could happen in our culture. Yeah. And like that and a woman speaking. That's that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, and that concept of submission was yeah because we were in very cult, very conservative cultural Christianity, which is not all Christianity, and and like I do, I would love for people to know that that is not really what it's meant to be. But there is a very strict vein that happens, and I think the area where we grew up, it is like especially prevalent to have this like legalistic Christian culture. And I'm very thankful to work for people who are like well-known, you know, like healthy theologians and have promoted like a much healthier take on things that you can actually, you don't have to be unhealthy and have black and white thinking. But so that, that, that word silent didn't come into play until like high school. I never felt the need to be silent until, until about high school. I started to realize like this concept, like submission was drilled into us. There's a lot of like shame culture. And shame naturally draws you inward and gets you quiet and isolates you from others. So that started to come into play then. Thankfully, I feel like I only had a brief blip of thinking I needed to be silent. Mm -hmm. But I did have a few years of feeling like I needed to be like the quiet, beautiful wife. And like that was my calling for wife. Hmm, interesting. And because it sounds almost as though the environment, a lot of people who are drawn to that or who end up in that space of feeling like they need to take on this toxic trait. It comes from a caretaker or a home issue, but it sounds like in your case, it was really the environment around you just kind of outweighed the, the model that had been set at home and maybe just some of the shifts in your home life. Yeah. 
it, yeah, accelerated that or amplified that for you. It did. It really was that me like looking that piece of me looking at my family being like, well, obviously they were wrong about their marriage and they're wrong about everything. Yeah. And and then the places that were catching me and like supporting me mm-hmm. were very pro like quiet submissive wife mm-hmm. and um, I am thankful that they held me in a lot of ways but that is something that I do not agree with at all and I mean I should clarify like the word submission I'm using in a very strict like yeah. submit I actually like, am having a whole episode on this where we're gonna go into because oh good I never claimed this but every single episode that I have recorded there has been some type of faith element to it which I think mm-hmm. is just really interesting. And so I coined this term God lighting from people used. Yes. Me too. Love you too. <laughs> I love it. Well, I thought there's been so much talk about it that I need to do an episode where we go into what does God actually intend for yeah. us and what, you know, what do words like submit actually mean and things like yeah. that. So, yeah. Good. Yeah, no, I can. I'm on, I'm on the wavelength with you. Okay, good. Good. Yes. Yeah. And hopefully anyone listening knows too. Like I... There is a very specific way I'm using this word, and it is it is in a negative tent or in a negative setting. But I don't think that that word is always negative. I think there's the difference is that you choose, and I think we were told that we don't have a choice of when to submit. Yes, and a very excuse me, a very kind of this perspective that woman's role is to be. I call it the sexy submissive. Yes, that was that's what <laughs> your, your role is. Because I'm talking about and silent and man sidekick instead of like this amazing weapon and tool that men have, and and not we our whole existence on the earth is not about men. Women have Please. these qualities outside of men that if you enter into a relationship with a man, it amplifies yes. their qualities. But we have our own voice and our own callings and our own passions. And sometimes there is a interdependent submission in the air quotes that is actually that calling being, you know, a man coming alongside and protecting and amplifying and supporting us being in the forefront, being the voice, being the movers and the shakers. And that was not the picture that we were painted when we were growing up no the picture we were painted when we were growing up i remember being like shit that is not me yeah i don't even want to do anything with that like i want nothing to do with that i I don't want that to be me i know that that's not how i naturally am and um like this is gonna be a whole lot of work for me to be that yeah yeah well, it's good that you recognized it at a young age. It took me a lot longer to figure that one out. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think it was that attracted you to toxic partners? What attributes about them did you want or was attractive to you? Yeah, the first thing that comes to my mind is they had the answers. Mm. Like I got in this, you know, really unhealthy pattern of thinking, but right and wrong, like lots of right and wrong, black and white thinking. And when you're doing that, one that's just like not reality like life does not work that way but in doing that and thinking that my family had it wrong I was looking for someone who had it right and like someone who had the right answers I had one ex-boyfriend who I'm so thankful he said this to me at the time I was like devastated by it because it was said I think in our breakup one of our breakup conversations because it was yeah a weird situation but he said he was like Aubrey it's like you are it's like you're like playing by a playbook like you think that there's a right and wrong to every move you make. 
and you're just trying to find all the right moves. And he's like, but that's not, that's not how this works. And that was really impactful to me later on when I was able to digest this concept of integration of like good and hard, like these things coexist. And when I was able to digest that, I kind of looked back like, oh, he nailed it. Like, man, we were not great together, but he really nailed this one. And I was, I was just looking for someone who had the right answers and we could make the right moves. We could show the world that we chose right. And then we can start telling other people how to choose right and do this legacy of, oh, it would have been a disaster. Like it would have been bad. We probably would have messed people up. But I was really looking for someone who had the right answers. And you know, people with these toxic traits are ready to give the right answer. Um, But another thing that drew me is like, there's so much passion in toxic relationships. Those highs are so high and they start out so high. And it's just like... And the fact that the lows are also so low makes the highs even more addictive. Yes. It's like, it's almost like it starts on this wavelength where it's, it's high and then it drops low. And then all of a sudden the next high is like higher than the original one. And then the low is lower than the original. And it starts getting bigger and bigger, the distance between the high and the low. Uh, and I remember, I don't know when I started saying this, but at one point I was like, the highs are so high and so wonderful, but I can't do the lows anymore. They're so devastating. And it would be like, I'd have to clear my schedule for days when I was in a low because I just, I couldn't function. I was so mm-hmm. depressed. Wow. I like what you said about them having all the answers and how people with toxic traits or, you know, just unhealthy things they're still working through love to give the answers because that is a behavior I like to highlight as a red flag or at least an orange flag that oftentimes, you know, in dynamics like this that go on for a long time with someone who's unwilling to get healthier and change, that behavior is is designed to put them in control. Yeah. Because they're isolating you and they're the one with all the answers. And if nobody in your life has the answers, you've lost yourself. So you don't have any answers anymore. Oftentimes there's a lot of spiritual gaslighting that happened. So God doesn't have answers. This talk, well, God speaks through them. Yes, that's just, <laughs> and God they, gives them the answers to get they to have your the woman. Key. Oh, that's true. <laughs> and they have the key on, you know, everything that God has, that is too hard for us to understand. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So if no, they are the only person who can tell you what is up with life and God and relationships, they're in complete control. So I like to highlight that. Um, Yeah. They become your whole like sustenance. Yeah. You are non-functional without them feeding you. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a major red flag. That's not an orange flag right there. That's the red flag. But everything for you is to red. Yeah. It goes, it moves really quickly from orange to red like that. But there are obvious, I mean, there are some orange flags and that are, there are, sometimes we misinterpret things, you know? And so there might be some out there that that's not what they're doing. But man, if you, if someone becomes your everything, like leave, they should not be your everything. Yeah. So what highs and lows, Mm -hmm. are there highs and lows of toxic relationships that you haven't mentioned that you think are illuminating? I mean, the physical connection Hmm. we haven't talked about, but the physical connection in toxic relationships is so like, like a movie, you know, everything. I feel like everything is like a movie in a toxic relationship. It it all plays out that way. It's starting to play out as a storyline in my head. But the physical connection is like magnetic. And I think it gets described as like 
like as though that passion can only between be between you and them and no one else you'll never have that again like it's yeah. just them it's and just true they you. tell you nobody is gonna love you like i love you yes yes yeah that is a direct quote yes and that is wrong that is wrong every time someone says that Trying to think other other highs, lows. I also think something for me that became a red flag just to go, it's going to go back to physical connection because that is what I haven't talked about yet, is the lows would always, quote, recover with the physical connection. Yes. Really good point. Really good point. And that's something to me that stands out as a, as a like more toxic trait in relationships now is like, if you can't have a, a conversation and recover without that, like it starts to put a question mark in my mind, just like a little like, well, let's check in on that. But it, it, yeah, every for me, every low, it, like it couldn't go high again until there was like a a physical connection again. That's a really good point. I think if I think back on my toxic relationship, there was so much that was centered. That was a very big fixture of the relationship was what was going on with the physical relationship. And at first, it was we have to have this specific type of physical interaction because I will feel loved with that and that's my love language that's your love language that's my love language yeah <laughs> distortion of the love languages oh uh, sorry Gary that's not it's not how he intended them that's right that's right so there are some people out there twisty that yeah. or then it would become physical affection was withheld so if we yes. are in a bad place then we weren't allowed to have physical contact then and then it was like a punishment. It was a punishment. And then if you're moving, if you're trying to move beyond that, then there was almost this over the top physical compensation. And if I wasn't feeling that, then there, there was this like shaming on me. Yeah. That I wasn't ready to be physically reconnecting in, you know, bonded ways. Yeah. I, I'm still folk. I'm still in, you know, all what happened between us emotionally. And all of a sudden, they just want to shift into this physical fireworks, and I'm not feeling it, and you're shamed for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you remember, we're just here for them. So (laughs) they're the only ones that matter in physical connection. It's just about the male feelings in that. Yeah, I do actually remember feeling that. Like, it, it was an interesting thing to, like, take on that. Like, no, women have physical needs. Like, I feel that way. I have needs. Like, it's not all about them and their needs but ooh, again with, with that like very conservative more legalistic christianity it gets painted that like that guys want sex all the time and so like they're more physical and women don't ever and it's really not a big deal but you're going to put up with it for them and like i just that is so not a healthy perspective on that and nor do i think it's how god designed it if we're going to go if we're going to have the christian perspective on it i don't think that is the design I do think that is the dynamic that naturally unfolds when you believe that women are there to meet a man's yes. needs. Yeah. I think, you know, maybe they're reiterating what they're experiencing and making that a theology, which it's not. But I, I do remember being in, you know, my toxic relationship and wanting, I remember during certain conflicts, wanting to hold patience, which sounds really sappy, but I just needed that reinforcement that we're solving this problem together. We're not worrying against each other, which now that I look back, none of our communication was solving a problem together. It was all out war. But I wanted to try and create that. And that was what I reached for. It was holding hands. And I remember being told, you are, we can't hold hands. You are manipulating me physically to get what you want. 
And it was so out of my paradigm to even do that. I How remember. good is your hand holding? But you must be really good. It's amazing. <laughs> so I remember that's a really good point. I just remember it, it really took me aback to have you know to have that put on me, or you know. But then he would really want to. He would want certain types of physical connection or to do certain things, and it. It wasn't that I wasn't attracted. I was in this space of knowing we had a lot of issues and feeling like our relationship cannot sustain that level, you know, or can't sustain that level of physical dynamic that you're wanting to go into right now. We need to get our foundations right before we go to that or, you know, do the things you want to do. And it was a lot of, will you you're not attracted to me you know there's a problem with your libido or you know all these things and it was i i look back and think any woman would have felt the way that i felt you know yeah and just have a, a i think in general women have a little bit more of an emotional way of bonding physically yeah, yeah. so good I point that's like the generalization like if you could if you go into gender theory mm-hmm. that is one of the things that they say is that that women have emotions are everything like emotions are the foundation and that foreplay lasts for days because it starts with you being like good morning you look beautiful and it grows from there but every positive interaction grows a woman's desire to be physically connected and that for men they don't need that that it's all it's all physical that drives that and visual to be honest i don't know how much i subscribe to gender theory i think it's more complicated than that that maybe that's the majority but um, and that's the trend that they found in the different genders. But I think there's always outliers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some women naturally just have an ability to having to relate a little bit differently based on their hormones and their upbringing. But yeah, it's it's kind of an, a nice operating theory sometimes. Yeah. Thing. So you are remarried. And so one of the questions I don't remarried. You are married. I'm, yeah. I'm remarried for the I'm married for the first time. <laughs> Hopefully the only way. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's the plan. That's um, the plan. Yeah. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, what was it like to enter into a healthy relationship and how do you get past the boredom that comes without having the highs and lows of unstable dynamics? Which sounds mean, but it is an obstacle to women getting into healthier relationships is they feel boring at first. And sometimes I think, you know, if you're feeling bored, stick around for a little bit. Don't leave somewhere on, but see it out a little bit. I love that you just started off with boredom because were you to ask me what it's like, I probably the first word I would have said is that sometimes it feels a bit boring. And when you're used to that roller coaster, I mean, life stability is really boring when you're used to instability. Instability is really exciting. Stability starts to feel a bit boring. And and hopefully my husband doesn't take offense to this. I don't think any of this would be new to him. And if it is, I'll go talk to him afterwards. But it it's interesting. I also tell people like just st- stick around a little bit longer. And I've had to do that with myself. I, with a lot of things, I've just said, don't cut off too early. Just stick and see what happens. And I feel like the more I stuck around, the more I saw things like my husband on our first date talked all about his family and the kids that he was working with. And I was like, family kids, like those are two most important things in my life. Like I love my family. That's part of why I didn't go back to a relationship that I really wanted to go back to many times was because there was so much, like it was struggling with this word, like it was so volatile between them and my family. And I love my family so much. I couldn't imagine a life where I didn't have someone who also loved my family. 
Right. But also then not loving your family is another control dynamic. So you yeah. don't have people calling out the unhealthy behaviors. But Yes. Yeah. Another cutting off. Yeah. Cut off anyone that calls out the behaviors. Get rid of them. They're all obviously they are all wrong. Small minded. They're crazy. Yes. They're yeah. crazy. They're all crazy. You're crazy. They're crazy. But it will keep you. But yeah. everyone else, let's get rid of. Yeah. Just one crazy person is all I can do. Yeah. 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 So it was, I have to go back to the question again. What's it like to be, and how do you combat the boredom? Yeah. I just started to think about things that I'm like, okay, long-term, let's think long-term. Let's think when things get hard. Let's think when attraction fades. Like, what does this person have that I can hold on to? And I saw a lot of things in my husband that were like, he's really kind when things are hard, Mm. like very kind hearted. And he can talk about anything. Like he has let me talk about all my past boyfriends. And I don't recommend, like, that is not something I think people have a strong opinion on, like, you have to give every detail. We didn't talk every detail, but he he knows enough. Like, I've been able to tell him, like, if I've had a dream about an ex and I'm like, I feel, you know, sometimes we have dreams and we wake up and we're like, do I like them still? Like, do I, am I having feelings right now? And I have told him before, like, I feel I'm having this feeling like, you know, I'm not proud of it and I'm I'm not wanting it to be here. But like, I just woke up feeling this way today and and he he did not enjoy hearing that but he let me he let me say it and and didn't shame me and didn't get mad at me it was just like okay that's what's happening today so I think I just I had so much freedom to to be whoever I wanted to be he also told me once when we were dating he's like I think this is something you like about me he's like I think you do like attention this is when I was first started claiming that word though I hate that that's the word I'm claiming but like (laughs) that is the word I'm claiming he told me once he's like you know when when we go in a room together he's like you want the whole room. And he's like, I want none of it. So I will never stand in your way to have that attention. And he's like, I think you like that about me. And that's neat that he even recognized that, had the emotional intelligence to recognize that. Yeah, he has no business having emotional intelligence like that. <laughs> but yeah, those are things that I'm like, I do love that you recognize it, that you felt okay to say that, that you're not shaming me for that because I had so many years, you know, needing to have a tattoo on my face to keep people from looking at me. So yeah. to have that was just like, just really nice to have that freedom. Yeah. Well, I think freedom is a really great word to land on because I think the word I was hearing when you described your toxic relationships was feeling shut down. And it totally, the act, freedom's the absolute opposite of that, which is really. Yeah. I felt like I got to be come more myself and he wasn't about to stand in my way and like he was very supportive of things I wanted to do and like just man the openness to conversation was one of the biggest things for me that I was like I think we could probably get through most things if we can just talk about them and he I was in the middle of doing my master's in counseling when we started dating and so I was having every conversation with him as I'm like learning this I'm like we gotta talk about this we gotta talk about this like really uncomfortable things to talk about and he was like down for every conversation he's like okay like sure let's talk about that sure let's talk about that and that to me was really cool and I felt like a long-standing trait like that's something that we can we can ride this wave for a long time with traits like that so yeah I did it did feel a bit boring in comparison to some of these whirlwind romances I was a part of in my own head I, I think that my partners would describe them that way if, I, if, I think maybe it, not though maybe and maybe maybe not maybe it's just me but probably probably was people I think that's another really great dichotomy though because in toxic relationships you lose yourself it, who you are becomes all about to the other person 
we're in a healthy relationship, your con- your connection actually makes you more you and yes. amplifies who you are as an individual. So that's a great dichotomy. And with that, I think there's something really beautiful to be said about this kind of underlying boredom because that's your signal that it's time for you to go out and to pursue some of those dreams. And when you're in a toxic relationship, all of the all of the entertainment, for lack of a better word, or the the remedy to boredom is instability. Whereas the remedy to boredom in a healthy relationship is pursuing the things that were shut down in a toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I like. I mean, I think boredom. I've I've begun to find this like a power in boredom, and it's just a really good catalyst to passions. So if you let yourself get bored a little bit not just in relationships, but I'm just being in like everyday life. If you let yourself get a little bored, you start to pursue things and create things and dream things. And I think it's a good catalyst to like big things. So that's a thought I've been playing with lately, actually, to try to let myself get bored here and there. You know, we have a toddler now, and so I'm trying to avoid TV. And so I get bored. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And trying to see what kind of the things that come out of that boredom end up being way more fun and way more refueling than what I would have pursued previously. So so I think it, I actually haven't really connected this before, but now I'm using that same word for relationships. That boredom can be a catalyst to a good thing. Not always. Sometimes it is still a bad fit, but I think that boredom is not a good enough reason to stop. Mm, yeah. So how how did you shift what you were attracted to? Was it just sitting with that boredom or was it other things as well? Yeah, I think that's a really hard thing, like shifting the attraction uh, to healthier things. That's really hard. I think I, I still sometimes will think like, like, oh, is, you know, like, is our relationship not that great because it's not like we're not having those high highs like other relationships were. You're not having sex 12 times a week like I, Amanda doesn't eat. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is a problem. <laughs> yes. If you're listening, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. And if it's just the word mandate, period, that's a red flag. There was actually a contract involved. So. That's a red flag. If I want to learn more about that, but, I'm, but. <laughs> yes, I will. I have the book. I have the book. I will be reading it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not high, high, definitely not like that. But I'd, I think I, I just got, honestly, I shifted my attraction to that feeling of freedom and like, um, kind of like owning a badassery that I wasn't able to own before and see myself in a light I wasn't able to see myself in. And those things just got so inspiring within me that like that's what I became more attracted to. I came I became more attracted to like who I could be, the life we could build together, the things we could do together. That became way more attractive to me than this like wild romance passion. Yeah. Finding yourself kind of first up. Couple, I have a couple more questions for you. If that's okay. Go, girl. I've got time. Okay. I've got a babysitter. Oh, wow. You're like, let's <laughs> pour a glass of wine. <laughs> I, could, I I should have. I have Prosecco on the counter. To oh, my goodness. my conference yesterday. I should have brought it in with me. You could, this could have, have been in a wilder conversation. That's, that's true. <laughs> so, with your work in psychology, mm-hmm. are there things that you have learned? about the psychology of toxic relationships that you think are really interesting or valuable or just kind of reframed your perspectives a little bit. I think you've been sharing it all along, but yeah, I would say I would say everything I've shared so far, it's informed by what I've learned. 
it. And I ended up in the field of counseling because of some like natural abilities of mine or natural personality traits of mine that I was drawn that way. And I thought aligned and, but I really got refined in major ways in my counseling program and my master's in counseling. And I'm, I'm still constantly getting refined by working with clients. So in that, I'll say this is not a field that I particularly work in. I, and I can't say that it would be where I would naturally go just because of it, it would bring up a lot for me with my, with my past. So it would be a hard, a hard like clientele for me to work with. Right now, I work with moms in pregnancy and postpartum. I work with anxiety. I work in in that type of stuff right now. And then I've had like a wide variety in the past. But so I, w- I would say in all this, I'm psychology informed in what I'm saying. But a couple of things that I have picked up that have been really helpful are on the topic of attraction, of studying attraction and just the concept of it. I think it was painted in in younger days as this like, magic thing that you have no control over and like it's chemistry and it's totally outside of you and it's you have to find the person and it's that one person and I in no way think that there is one person I think there's many people we could have had many good choices in our life or I'll say now because I'm married so I made a choice of marriage I could have had many other good choices of marriage I could have had many other bad choices of marriage so I don't think it comes down to one person And I don't think it's one plus one and just these two people finding each other is the magic to a good relationship. I don't think that at all. I think it's a lot of hard work and a lot of open conversations. And I do like working with couples, so I I should put that out there. You like that. Because of that, removing uh, the problem from being about each person and recognizing that like the the issue is the issue. You are two people capable of working on this issue together. Yeah. you are aligned and working on it together, you can get somewhere. But to think that the person, the other person is the problem, it's not always the case. Sometimes it is. I think that alignment is key, though, because I think in toxic relationships, that's usually really what's missing that causes you to need to leave. It's not that that person doesn't have the capacity to change in most relationships. You know, I think there's some mental health conditions where maybe that, you know, a different conversation but yep different conversation not that people can't change but time and hope alone will not change a dynamic you have to have somebody actively committed and if they don't seem like they're willing to change then they aren't because it's really clear when someone is ready able to put in the work it's different and it's refreshing it is and it happens you have there are guys that like if you're in a relationship right now and you're like we keep having the same conversation and he's doing nothing like there are men that you will talk to and you say like hey we really need to work on this like my husband and i used to be every four months when we were dating now we do it like at least once a year where we have a conversation of like what are we doing really well in our relationship and what are some things and each of us answer it's a judgment-free conversation and it is a has to be an emotion-free conversation because the next question is like what are some things you hope change between us in the next year mm-hmm. and that is sometimes really hard to hear um on both of both of us probably actually my husband communicates a little kinder than i do so it's probably harder for him to hear than for me he's he's nice to me but Sometimes we have those conversations and like you see change and you see them pursue it. And my husband right now is like working on some stuff that we talked about for our anniversary this year of things we want to change between our dynamic for this next year. And he's already been working on it. So there are guys out there that 
do actually say, yeah, yeah, I want that and then do something about it. I think one thing about toxic relationships, especially if they're long term and you've made it a long way in them. One thing I say is I don't think you ever don't stop caring about somebody you almost married, right? No. Like I think about my ex and I know that there were a lot of things that make me angry and there are a lot of things that I can still look back and think that was a really sweet quality that he had a very unique quality and I know that I really loved him in the past I also know that you know I'm not married so I've entertained the question that if he came back and had changed in every way that I had hoped for and was begging for me back is that something I would want and you know my answer is no and I really mean that from my gut emotional place I'm just a different person now. There's a lot of water under the bridge. But at the same time, I still have care that he is doing well and healthy, not in the way that I check in or anything like that. But I say that to illustrate that I think there's just a place you hit with some people that you'll always have good wishes and care for them. So what does it look like to carry that in marriage and not have that? And when I say carry it in marriage, I don't mean to say that to women that you'll carry like this longing for an ex that you broke it off with for the rest of your life i don't think that's true i think you can grow beyond that but how do you make peace with there are people that you have romantic connections with that you'll always care about that is one of the hardest things to do (laughs) i mean i think carry was a good word because i do think it's a little heavy and i've had this conversation even with people who weren't in toxic relationships and i think it's it's like one of those things like nobody talks about that you do continue to care for people for the rest of your life. And maybe down the road, we forget. I haven't gotten there yet. I still care a lot about my exes. And I'd say some of them, I some of them, I hope they are doing wonderfully and really have made a lot of changes. And I do not wish to reconnect. Some of them, like I would love to see again and just like see that face to face and know that they're doing well. And then, and some of them, I think, like some of my laugh when I think about because I wish we were still friends because the friendship was so fun. But either way, I like I'm I'm really thankful for the good times with with each of them, and I'm thankful for having been loved by each of them because yeah, it did something for my confidence. It you know some of them really brought in a lot of insecurities too. But being able to know like, hey, someone loved me like that is really cool and special and. Someone said like that I was the most beautiful person they've seen or that they they want to marry me or they want to spend the rest of their lives or their yeah, their life with me. And those things are huge compliments. And I, I still hold those really dear. Like and I'm very grateful that they said that and felt that way about me. And it was oftentimes reciprocated. And I hope that they're grateful for that, too. But it, it is tricky in marriage because you don't like holding that doesn't mean that I love my husband any less. Like, I'm very thankful for him, too, and thankful for the ways he's he's loved and continues to love me, you know, to get real, like, curt about it. Like, my husband showed up. Those guys didn't. Right. And so I'm thankful for them. I wish them well. I'm glad that that those relationships didn't continue because I like my life right now so much better than what I imagine would have happened if I try to play out that relationship to this point in my life. And things like parenting and postpartum and anxiety and a pandemic. I think about all these things and just how horrible that would have been with the wrong, I guess not right and wrong person, but how horrible those things would have been with someone 
who was toxic. I'm just so thankful that that I didn't go there because, I mean, my husband and I were at odds through a lot of that stuff. So if, if we were at odds during a lot of that stuff, like I could only imagine a relationship that was up and down, how hard that would have been. I said, I think for some relationships, impossible. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I hurt thinking about there are people who went through all of those things with really like people that were horrible to them. And yeah, I'm thankful I didn't have to. But yeah, and, and talking about carrying that, I definitely still carry it. Like, carry it. I definitely still carry it. I, I can use my words. I definitely still carry it. I think I feel affected by each of each of those relationships. But I, the way I've kind of looked at it is like a there's a little piece of gratitude to each man I've loved before. And I carry that bit of gratitude with me. But the rest of what came with that is meant to stay in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I use this metaphor in my book where we talk about like when how rivers create canyons and how it kind of it split literally splits rock and it's never the same like that rock is never the same as it was before but it becomes a place of peace and it becomes a place that tells a story not so much an empty chasm which it feels like initially and Mm -hmm. i like to think about it that way because i think you know it's one of the things that you see a lot in toxic relationships is they people who i guess get into those dynamics with you like to do a lot of things that synthesize connection without actually doing the work of connection so you can be thankful for the experiences you had through synthesized connection whether that be a great trip or like so many compliments or being placed on a pedestal and then you move on and choose somebody who actually is willing to do the work of what love looks like fleshed out day to day yeah and it's a little more boring it is <laughs> it's a little it's a little more grueling of work than yeah. than that synthesized connection speaking of grueling work i know a lot of your focus is or work is not grueling no moms <laughs> no, that's a that's a that's a grueling work fueled by love you know that's the definition of it i think and i know you really like to work with moms so how do you think having a history of toxic relationships and healing from that kind of impacts that I show up as a mother? Because I think when I talk about toxic relationships, sometimes people think that, well, I'm married and it, you know, I don't need to worry about that. Problems of that. Yeah, exactly. But I think, I, and this is, I think these dynamics that we talk about are universal to women in relationship. You know, we would be hard pressed to find a woman who doesn't resonate with something in these conversations. Yeah. You know, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think in motherhood, it's it has kind of it definitely has impacted me. And and I don't think we can go through these relationships without being impacted. I mean, I really do think any relationship, any person we come across in life, we are impacted by them. And we carry a little bit of that experience with us from then forward if if we've integrated it well. And I I think I have integrated a, a little piece of each experience in me that moves me forward. And I think one of the things with with some of the unhealthier relationships I had been in is I feel very passionate about creating a space for my daughter to make her own decisions and and make them known and verbalized, even if they're disagreeing with me and my husband. And even as a toddler, she is doing this in a big way. But I feel very passionate about when she feels strongly, like letting her feel strongly and making sure that she knows her feelings are worthy of space, worthy of being verbalized, 
and that like mom and dad are here to hold that with her. And in saying that with being in more unhealthy relationships, mom and dad, that both of us are doing that. And that's something that my husband, like there's some things we've talked about that they maybe wouldn't have been as important to him. But because of my experiences, this is something that has become really important. So I've we've talked a lot about like why I do the things I do with her, why I create spaces like I do, or why I say the words I say. And and I've noticed there are times when I've expressed to him that like I feel passionately because of going through this experience that she gets the freedom to speak this way or to to know what she feels and that she gets the help to verbalize it that he has then made an effort to also do that for her. And I think that's really important that she knows that that men do that too. And I'm hoping by that, that she, when she goes into her dating life, that she will recognize when someone's not doing that for her and she'll know it and she will walk away from it. Yeah, that's so beautiful to be able to mother in a way that she has a different model set for her and also gaining that lived experience of having that from a man. Because I think growing up in a culture like we did, I think a lot of us didn't have the the experience of being able to see a man model things that would have helped us take healthier partners. Yeah, it, de- it definitely wasn't something that was promoted in the culture we grew up in. Yeah, definitely. So what is your advice for empowering the next generation of women to pick healthier significant others? Yeah, fun advice. Something that that everyone thinks a therapist does, but we're really not supposed to. I know. <laughs> we're hard to here to help you find your own advice. Not a therapy session. I'm not exactly. True. So you get a little freedom here. <laughs> I didn't start with confidentiality. This legally cannot be a therapy session. And, and it isn't. This is really me as a person talking right now. Definitely, this is not the type of conversation I would have as a counselor and therapist. But my advice, I think, would be to not focus on picking someone mm. dating-wise. I think there's a lot of pressure put on. It's the most important decision you make. And like that's that's what's drilled into you. And I really heard that as a kid. And my anxiety now, in hindsight, I see like how much anxiety I had as a kid was just like flaring. Like, oh, dear Lord, here is a very important decision we have to make. And how do we do this the right way? Mm-hmm. So I would really advise like, don't focus on picking someone. Like, I hope my dater, my, my dater, <laughs> I hope my daughter dates lots of guys and that she really gets a lot of experience and gets to experience what it feels like to like to recognize good heart or hurtful and uh, that she sees those things so it was a lot of fumbling over my words but my advice is to not focus on picking someone but to know that you'll have many good and many hard options in your life when it comes to relationships my advice would be to focus on your growth on developing your character And by doing that, you'll be a magnet to people who are doing the same. Go to counseling before something goes wrong. It works way better as a preventative measure. Build a, this is, this is something I steal from Dr. Johnson, but build a board of directors for your life. Have a life team, have people that you can be vulnerable and open with about things that you're ashamed of. And man, if you're feeling ashamed of something, please verbalize it to someone before it takes over your life. Because as soon as we speak it, we take away its power. I would say listen to wise counsel, learn how to recognize wise counsel, and read the book Boundaries by Claudia Johnson. <laughs> John did not tell me to say that. You but. could even read. He has another book, Safe People, which I would talk about attracting healthy people. 
I was going to say that that safe safe people was actually written in reaction to boundaries because uh, John says this a lot, but John and Henry wrote boundaries and then they found that people were like pendulum swinging to saying no. And all of a sudden they're like, well, now I've said no to everyone and like I'm alone. And that was not the heart of that book. And I think if you I think that was probably people getting like a little overexcited about it. But then they they were like, wow, we really need people to recognize when it's okay to say yes. Yeah. Uh, what do we do? And they wrote safe people. Focus more on who you're attracting than who you are picking. And I like that a lot because I think when you're focusing on that, a lot of times the things that we looked for a bunch of dating experiences to play out for us, you're actually just going to have played out in your regular relationships. And it's going to give you a good idea for what your non-negotiables are in romantic relationships. I think there's this idea we approach romantic relationships with like this list of this dreamy person. But really, a lot of what you need for a romantic relationship is somebody with just a lot of good, healthy foundations and skills. And you can start developing an appetite for that by going through just regular life relationships. So, yeah. Although I will say this is funny. I don't know if we'll keep this, but it's funny that you said you hope your daughter will date a lot of, have a lot of dating experiences because I remember your mom. I do not remember that many conversations with your mom, but I do remember having that conversation with your mom and her encouraging mm-hmm. you to, to have a lot of dating experiences. Oh, so, maybe Mrs. Stelzner, I didn't have as many as you wanted. But... <laughs> <laughs> she, that was something that she, I actually totally forgot that was something that she used to say. Yeah, she's, she's so funny. She's very like socially knowledgeable, but yeah, I think because in hindsight, I'm like, man, I really like locked down early and sometimes I wish I would have dated more. I mean, I think I did okay making up for it later on, but I, I just was like learning so much through every relationship. Uh, it's just like such a microwave for learning about yourself to be in a dating relationship. And I think now I've actually learned way more through my friendships at this phase of life. And us being vulnerable and reflecting back to each other, the things we're hearing and seeing and admiring in each other. It's been really beautiful. But when I was younger, I just feel like the dating, something about dating, like, you know, just like started, I would just like jumpstart growth. And every every breakup was like a huge jumpstart to growth for me. And I don't think that's a good enough reason to pursue it. But, but in a book that she has lots of experiences. It has a high pain point, you know, and I think anything yeah. that has a high pain point is going to accelerate growth, which... Is that a good reason to go have a lot of dating experiences because you want to get a high pain point enough to explore growth? Probably not, no. but I can see where that di- you know where that dynamic comes into play. Thank you so much for just taking the time to have this very informative conversation. Where can people find you if they want to follow your work and what you're doing a lot of cool things? So tell us what you're doing and where people can follow that. I am doing a lot right now. <laughs> and I, so let me tell you a couple of things. One, I, because a lot of my own stuff is just kind of like in the works. So one project that I have that's not yet launched is Love to the Moms. I have my website started and my Instagram handle. Yay. Nothing posted yet, but <laughs> Love to the Moms. And that's really meant to be a place. I describe it as like where you can transition from your big girl pants into your mom jeans and laugh with the other moms as you jump and wiggle into them. So I that's what I'm hoping for from that is just some like community for new moms. 
And I, in that thread, I am also an associate professional clinical counselor and associate marriage and family therapist in the state of California. And I work under Rachel Benson, LCSW in Tustin. So sometimes we're referred to as Tustin Counseling. And we do mostly perinatal mental health. And so you can find me there. I am also the assistant director of the Townsend Institute at Concordia University, Irvine. So when I talk about John Townsend, I really do work with John Townsend. (laughs) Love that guy. And we just wrapped a conference yesterday. So I've been with him a lot lately. So I and I am very passionate about the work we do there in doing transformational education. So we really we really work with people to work inside out as we educate them to go into different people helping fields. Instagram, I am at bottle. And you post lots of cute videos of your daughter when you were talking about her. Just expressing herself. That's a girl who, you know, you can just, her whole energy is like, I express myself, which is really cute. But also with the love to the moms, I, uh, we had had a conversation about this appropriately at a baby shower. But I think, you know, we had talked about how kind of that transition from just, you know, transition into motherhood can be a really lonely process and a, there's not a lot of support for the transition you know you're kind of mommy or you're not and there's not a lot of just community to help women make their transition and so that was kind of my understanding of this specific part of motherhood that the love to the moms is focused on and i think that's really neat and really useful thank about you needed is what i'm trying to say so i'll drop those links too perfect and then you'll be joining me when I do, whenever I do my podcast with Love to the Moms and talk about the hormonal shifts that yes. make new moms crazy. That will be really fun. I hate to use that word. <laughs> Especially in light of this conversation. Yeah, to use exactly. <laughs> I meant it as humor, but now I'm finding that really inappropriate that I said that. <laughs> make new moms feeling less like themselves. So, yeah, exactly. The reason you are not yourself, because you really aren't. Yeah. So. Well, thank you very much. I'm super excited for people to hear this conversation and I really appreciate your insight. Thank you. Thanks for asking me to do this. This was fun. Yeah, I'd love to to do it with wine next time. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, next time with wine. But those listening can be drinking wine while they listen. So yeah, enjoy. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Aubrey as much as I did. I wanted to provide some additional resources for you that I came across since the recording of this podcast. Aubrey and I talked a lot about coming out of religious cultures into true spiritual freedom and how religious culture impacted the unhealthy ways we showed up in relationships with men. I'm really passionate about breaking the cycle of toxic male-female dynamics that exists within many faith communities, and I listened to a podcast episode called Sex is for Women Too that blew my mind. It used data to prove that the view of women in church culture is very similar to the view of women in porn culture and how that dehumanizes women and actually accomplishes the opposite of what men want from us in the first place. My mind was so blown by it, I'm sharing the link in the show notes. I encourage you to listen to it whether you grew up in religious culture, are still religious, or never were, because it's a mindset that has pervaded our culture and affects us all. And as always, rate and subscribe to the podcast, grab a copy of Losing You, Finding Me, and share, share, share. Talk to you next week.